Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right. Welcome to the Serbcast, Mobile Serbs Canadian tech-focused podcast. I'm Brad Bennett and Patrick O'Rourke, a man who refers to himself as the sad boy of tech, um, but I'm going to call Mobile Serbs Boomer Correspondent, has probably regrettably handed me the reins today to take us through the wonderful world of Apple. How are you doing, Pat? Good. I'm good. I'm tired. Just like to point out that I'm not quite old enough to be a boomer i'm not even old enough to be to be gen x i'm like smack down right in the middle of uh millennial but uh i feel like after all these reviews i've done over the last three days i i may be um already approaching my my late 50s and 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 i'm actually a boomer in spirit yeah as our oldest uh team member i guess you kind of have to be the go-between between between us and the boomers so unfortunately that falls to you it's fair and uh yeah that's that's more true than ever now um, but as usual, this podcast is a techie threesome, and we brought on John Lamont. John, how are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm just surviving, vibing hard in in my basement. It's great. Just living off the vibes, eh? Yeah, vibing just, hard just... in my basement. <laughs> yeah. I'm picturing awesome. you just like hanging out with a bunch of lights, like dancing. You got some glow sticks. Yeah. I I've reviewed a lot of Nano Leaf uh, lights. Shout out to Nano Leaf the great toronto lighting company um and yeah there's can just have every color in the world in in my room it's great it's It's a how are those how are those baby triangle lights they're actually pretty sick there was a bit of a bug with the software or the firmware on them that made them brighter than all the other nano leaf lights uh but that got fixed and now they look pretty solid um so yeah they're they're rocking just before before we move on off of Nanoleaf, because I kind of want to bring this up, but when I was at CES last year, I guess, or at the beginning of 2020, they showed me this awesome like smart home system where these like lights that would like learn your behavior. So if you yes. woke up in the middle of the night and you had to wrote go to the about bathroom, it. yeah, it would like it would know and it would turn on the hall light to be very dim. So you'd be like, oh, you wouldn't have to even ask Google or Siri or anybody or hit switches. The lights would just know you're there and come on, and it was super cool. Um, and we've seen nothing about it, so I'm kind of I'm kind of hoping that still comes out because these mini triangles are not uh, satisfying me. But They're too busy yeah. releasing different shapes. Yeah, smaller yeah. shapes, larger shapes, whatever. But this week's podcast isn't about Nanoleaf, unfortunately. It's about all things Apple. Um, we've got new iPhones, the new iPad Air is in Pat's hands, although I guess it's not super new. Um, so we're probably going to talk about all that stuff, and Pat's going to give us his opinions, and we're going to just grill him about all things Apple. Um, but before that, we'll just discuss which our favorite Steve Jobs movie is. You guys like The Fast or you guys like uh, Ashton Kutcher? Ashton Kutcher, hands down. No, no questions. <laughs> uh, I, I can't really comment on this because I don't think I've seen either of them. You haven't seen either oh. of them? 
No. Man, I dragged my buddy to come with me to Ottawa. So I still lived in Renfrew, small town Renfrew at the time when the first Ashton Kutcher movie came out. I dragged my buddy to Ottawa to see it, and we were the only ones in the theater. I like genuinely, I know that that movie is, is hated by a lot of people, but I seriously, no joke, not being contrarian, not uh, not spewing weird opinions on Twitter. I, I legitimately like that movie more than any other Steve Jobs biopic. I think it's great. Yeah, for sure. I have it. Physical copy. I liked it as well. But uh, yeah, before we get into all the Apple stuff, we'll just tease you with our little Steve Jobs movie thing. Uh, I guess I'll go over the hottest news of the week. Okay, so first off, the CRT has approved Starlink for a BITS license, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to become a Canadian carrier yet, uh, but this does put it a step closer. Um, And for those who don't know, Starlink is the Elon Musk Tesla company that's basically shooting satellites into the sky to beam satellite internet with a big focus of their game plan seeming to be on like rural Canada and trying to deliver 100 megabyte per second speeds. Um, so pretty exciting stuff. Uh, yeah, it's, know... it's cool. I think, I think it's a ways off, but it's, um, uh, having parents that live in, in rural, not, not even that rural, but rural Ontario. Um, I know this is something that they would definitely take advantage of if it, if it ever comes to light and, and goes beyond the current, like beta testing stages that it's in right now. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, nice I'm, to I'm... Know. sorry, go ahead. John. Sorry. I was just going to say that I think it's, definitely intriguing if for no other reason than it's almost like having another carrier entrant in in canada to kind of help break up the the big three and the kind of dominance that they have in canadian internet yeah that's exactly what i was going to say like you know elon musk is good for one thing it's definitely for just like going into a market and increasing competition so hopefully um you know that happens here and we can get some nice internet across the board from starlink and other satellite providers so you know, to bridge the digital divide, which is obviously such a large issue in a country like ours. But moving on, the Electric Hummer came out last night. I totally kind of was not paying attention, but it came out. It's supposed to have a 560 kilometer range, uh, which is pretty good for an EV. I want to say like the Tesla sedans are kind of in the 400 kilometer range, although I could be wrong. I I don't have this in front of me, but uh, it's got a ton of other gimmicks like this crab walk feature where all four of the wheels can kind of turn semi sideways at a time so we can move what? side to side as yeah <laughs> side to, no so way I, yeah why what? i don't know if they move fully 90 degrees to the side but it's called the crab walk feature where all four wheels will turn at the same time sort of why? help you maneuver in tight spots i don't okay, know so that's one insane what yeah, yeah why we can hold want to do that because uh you've spent i'm guessing eighty thousand dollars on this truck and you want to put it in a precarious situation where it might get hit by a tree, right? So you might as well just be able to shoot it sideways do. into that tree because you're going to be I think it's going to be more. I, I think I saw something about it like 115K in the US. So. That's insane. Yeah, yeah, that's so much money. I don't know. It's a cool truck. Like it looks cool. But in terms of like we want people to adopt electric trucks and electric vehicles across the board, this is not the truck to do it. Like it has like a removable glass roof that you can like pull off and make it into like a convertible. The back window rolls down that everything's like electric on it. This like crab walk feature is absolutely ridiculous. It has like a six inch air suspension. So it can also go like up and down six inches for like off roading. It's just like who needs this? What is this? for? It looks nice. I'm yeah, looking at pictures true. of it right now on my phone and it like looks cool. 
Yeah, it does look cool. Uh, Dean called it like a little dune buggy last night, and I thought that was a good analogy. <laughs> um, but yeah, no prize. It's coming in the fall of 2022, so that's a little bit after we were originally expecting the Cybertron, but knowing Tesla, that could be pushed back. So honestly, at this point, the Rivian truck, the Rivian electric truck, for those who've been following along, still seems like the coolest, most standard truck with like actual useful features that I've seen. You know, the Cybertruck looks ridiculous. This Hummer truck looks ridiculous. Uh, the Rivian truck looks really cool and has a lot of like neat improvements that actually make sense. Um, that I'm sure these other trucks might have too, but we just don't know about them yet. Um, but I guess all of my money is probably going to have to fall on Ford to bring us an electric 150 that's just like for regular people, hopefully. Because so far there is not an electric truck for regular people. And then, yeah, moving off of that truck thing, uh, Kojigo rejected Roger's second offer to buy the company. It was an $11.1 billion offer. The original offer was $10.3. Um, but the family that owns Kojigo, the uh, Audette family, does anyone know if that's correct, the pronunciation? Yeah, I believe that's it, That accurate. sounds right. Cool. The Audette family said publicly that it doesn't want to be taken over. Um, I think... I think you were talking to me about this, John, before, but that you're thinking that might be just a sales tactic to push things higher, or do you think after the second rejection that they're still just really they don't want to be taken over? No, I, th- I think it was Pat that said that it was mm-hmm. a a sales tactic. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. Just the way that this whole thing is played out, um, it just really seems like they don't want to be taken over, and it's kind of been funny to see how it all how it's all played out because Rogers keeps like pitching all this different stuff like they've made a big deal about keeping kojiko based in quebec because yeah. you know the quebec government will be on board with that and the quebec government was like we don't want rogers to buy kojiko because they'll take it out of the province so there's been like a whole sideshow with that with rogers making all these promises of investments and stuff they're going to do if they acquire kojiko and keep it in quebec and it's just been like really weird to see all that while at the same time the audat family's like we don't want to be taken over so stop please i please think leave us that alone. like at some point we're gonna bring um aisha uh our telecom reporter on the podcast to kind of summarize the situation as it, it continues developing maybe that's a good idea next week but yeah she she's been doing probably the most coverage of it so she had she would have the best insight but uh it's, it's definitely an interesting situation that continues to unfold yeah, like, um, A, I don't even know why Rogers wants to buy Kojiko. That doesn't even make a lot of sense to me. Like, it just... Get rid of the competition. I guess. Yeah, I guess so. That's, yeah, you're so right. It's, That's probably it. it's that, um, but Kojiko... So, like, my understanding of it is Rogers is working with a U.S. company called, uh, I think it's yes. Altice or Altis or something like that. I'm not sure what the exact pronunciation is. Um, and so Altis is going to buy... Kojiko and then sell Kojiko's Canadian assets back to Rogers and yep. keep the rest of the company. So uh, I guess crazy. it's just like Rogers wants Kojiko's Canadian assets, but doesn't want to buy the whole company. It does have like a fairly strong local news presence in like uh, rural Canada, as far as I'm aware. I don't know if that's everywhere, but in places that I've lived, like Belleville, Peterborough, Renfrew, the Kojiko, which I think is like now called Your TV, it's fairly popular. I'm a, oh, I'm a Kojiko Internet customer. Yeah, at Kojiko Internet is really popular too. I've also used it in the past and it's fine. There's there's um, some like like I live in Burlington. It's not super small or anything, but there's some like GTA adjacent cities that um, are served just served by Kojiko. Yeah, it's it's um 
it seems like a popular carrier. I don't really know why they would want to sell either. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's enough for that. And just what you were saying about bringing Aisha on, as I was doing this hottest news this week, two uh, or three of these four stories were written by her. So we definitely need to bring Aisha on just for a whole like rundown yeah. of what she does and, and what she can like sort of explain to us and the rest of our audience. Um, but the last story is Ontario is working to uh, digitize driver's licenses and birth certificates. So this will be part of a new Ontario government plan to just make it easier to interact with the government online. Oh, wow. So that that's um, yeah, I think that's still the most popular story being read on our site right now. But um, when when did this break? Since I've been in review review world and have no idea what's happening. Was this yesterday? Um, I'm I not think sure it was yesterday. It was yesterday, or, yeah. yesterday. Okay. Wow, that, that's really cool. I've been I've been waiting for that to happen. Yeah, exactly. Like. Um, if we could digitize, yeah, driver's license, birth certificate. I know we can already do uh, insurance for our cars. That was something that the Ford government did early on. Um, so like health cards would be nice after this. Yeah, just, and we have that. Yeah, I don't exactly know how this is going to play out, but I think pushing things digital makes a lot of sense, especially since like, I don't know about you guys, but like, I hate my wallet. I, I don't ever have cash. So I just like carry around like four cards that are in like six slots and it's just kind of a waste. Yeah, absolutely. My kind of solution to that is I have this like really simple wallet that's literally just a card holder and like you can put like six or seven cards in it and that's it. And it's like super slim and small. So that's kind of been my go to solution. Nice. Um, But once this once this goes digital, I'm kind of excited to just not have to carry that anymore. Yeah, I uh, I'm in the same boat. Actually, I'm going to use that as our segue as we're going into iPhones. And I had this later on in the topics, but MagSafe is here. Before we get into iPhones, MagSafe, which includes a wallet situation. And I've heard that that wallet sucks. Pat, have you got hands on with one? So the only MagSafe accessory I have is like just the the standard charger, like the little puck that attaches to the back of the iPhone 11 or the iPhone um, uh, 11 Pro. I haven't tried any, any of the other accessories. I've made it very clear that like I want to do that. So I'm hoping that Apple sends them over soon. Uh, in general, like so there's two sides to this MagSafe argument. Like I don't think Qi is perfect. I've used several different charging pads over the years and none of them have really fulfilled that promise of convenience. Like there's Nomad chargers I've used, there's Logitech chargers I've used, and they all like require you to very precisely place your device on the pad. Even like the new Nomad Pro charging pad that's like kind of supposed to be the answer to to air power where where it has like so many coils that you can place your device anywhere you want on it doesn't really entirely work as advertised you still gotta like place it a little bit and then on top of that the charging is really slow so i think magsafe is interesting and exciting i think the charger is a really good idea and i'm impressed with how quickly it just attaches to the back of the phone the other accessories at least from what i've seen especially the wallet attachment the the like magnetic force doesn't seem to be quite strong enough to keep that on the phone consistently like there's an mkbhd video where he's sliding the phone in his pocket and it keeps popping off and like imagine that happened with your credit cards and you just never found them because they fell off while you were walking to work or whatever like that that's not cool but i think the the actual inherent charging portion of it is but then again i also think this is an indication that eventually Apple's just going to ditch ports altogether from from the iPhone and force people to take that 
MagSafe route. And of course, they're not going to include a MagSafe charger with the phone. They're going to make you buy it separately. And I think, Bennett, you've you've written uh, a pretty interesting article about this uh, death of the port kind of quest that Apple is going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I can talk about it briefly, but basically, I actually wrote that article two years ago and just like kind of sat in our back end, bouncing around from people, some people telling me like, hey, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard whenever publishing this to finally getting around. No, it was like, no, no, you didn't say that, Pat. I'm not saying it was a good story. It was just something that like needed massaging and needed work and it needed like that right timing. And Mm. I think going out right before the launch of the 12 and the 12 pro made sense because there was rumors of this MagSafe stuff. Right. And that was like Apple truly moving forward with this eventual no port plan. Um, But yeah, I, I think even though it took a while to get up, I think it ended up way better than what we initially started with with that story. I, I agree. I was about to say, I think now that we got it out ahead of this MagSafe thing was like perfect. But yeah, it's crazy. Like I just, I you know, everyone's seen Apple. They make these like beautiful devices, but like ports are ugly. And like having something that was just like a full seamless like pebble shape to me seemed like such an Apple goal. Um, and then I just kind of like went from there. And now we have this MagSafe thing, which... It's basically just wireless chargers with magnets. It's not like groundbreaking in any way, although it kind of is because no one's done it before. Um, but I don't know, like the future, I just like, I just imagine a future where like out now. Okay. So you used to be able to buy one iPhone charger. You came with a little cord, a little brick. It was pretty small. It's pretty portable. The MagSafe charger, it, it kind of seems like the goal of it would be like to have one on your desk to have one in your living room, to have one on your bedside table. So now you just need like all these MagSafe chargers, which is going to cost like $100 to sort of like have this dream MagSafe ecosystem, um, which I'm not necessarily sure if I'm like into. Like it just seems very bad. Another thing worth noting about it too that was pretty disappointing is it doesn't come with Apple's uh, USB-C charging brick. It's just the charger on its own. You'd have to purchase that separately, which seems positively absolutely absolutely ridiculous like it should include that with it i think that was my one and it's my one complaint but it's a significant complaint about um at least the current state of what that initial magsafe charger apple selling is yeah uh, personally i don't like it but when i was watching uh, reviews about the phones and stuff last night um alex just like hated it she thought it was the funniest thing ever she was like dying she's like what the hell like why are people why are people into this that's huge like i don't want my phone like to have that like why can't i just plug it in i was like well yeah you can but probably not if someday she, she was just honestly so that, that was me when i first saw it i thought it was super stupid you could even like go back and look at my tweets like i, I thought it was dumb but then when i got it in my hand and just saw like how easily it attaches to the back of the phone i was i'm kind of i'm kind of sold on it i don't know about the other accessories but at least the charger itself it's like i i don't have to go search for the end of my charger and like i just drop it on on the side of my um desk and it like immediately attaches to it it's probably the most convenient charging experience i've ever had with a device so minus having a cord what, uh, well yeah. like what i'm what i'm saying like with with the cord is like i'm, I'm imagining the situation when i charge my phone it's usually at night before i go to bed sometimes the lights are out i can't find that cable i'm trying to get it into the into the lightning port or i'm trying to place it on a charging pad that requires like precision with this because it's magnetic, I know it's right sitting on my desk side table. I just drop the thing on it and leave it, and it's good to go. I, that That's what I mean by 
convenience and like yeah okay of course that's not that big a difference from plugging a phone in i i get it i understand that argument but i just even last night it was probably i think it was the second or third time that i've, I've charged the iphone 12 with it um i was it was kind of like this wow this is actually pretty cool and solves some of my pain points with with chi yeah i mean that's fair i have a chi pad beside my bed and i put my phone on it last night and it did not charge so i totally get that Although I'm just, yeah, I don't know. Like the fact that Apple wants people to buy like a, a couple of, a couple of these like $35 chargers plus 30 or $25 charging bricks. Yeah, I agree. Seems like insane when it was just like the cable was fine. And like, just because this like sticks to your phone and it's like a two handed removal thing, like it's just like so similar to a cable, but like slightly easier to use. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of crazy to me, but uh, yeah, you know, maybe so- we, Go, go ahead, John. I just one one quick thing I wanted to say about the MagSafe before we move on is like I remember writing rumors and leaks about it beforehand and thinking it was the stupidest thing. Um, but what stood out to me is probably the bigger of the two pieces with MagSafe is the accessory portion, and maybe not so much for consumers, but definitely for Apple as a business is being able to push this whole, um, you know, these cases, these accessories, these all these different things work with MagSafe on our iPhone, right? And for example, I, I wrote about uh, PopSocket, which said that they were making MagSafe products. Uh, they haven't specified what it is, but it's probably some sort of PopSocket grip thing that connects to the back of, of your phone using the yeah, magnets. Yeah. yeah and I think that's like, I think that's like a really, really smart way or to build out the accessories for iPhone because you know, no other phone has magnets in the back like that right now. And, you know, using magnets is way better than an adhesive or a sticker or or some sort of, you know, kind of crummy attachment method like that. Um, But also I'm kind of worried about that now seeing how the wallet accessory has worked in that it doesn't really stick on that securely and seems to slide off pretty easily. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I think that's kind of the bigger or more exciting part of MagSafe than the charging. Before we move on, the only other thing I was going to say, what's kind of funny is you can use this charger to charge like several different Android phones. And in some cases, it even magnetically magnetically attaches to the back of them, which I think is hilarious. (laughs) You just take this picture of a Galaxy Note 20 Ultra being charged by an Apple MagSafe charger. Yeah, there's like, I think the Galaxy Fold 2, the Pixel 5 and... The Note 20 Ultra. I was going to say, I, I remember one time I was driving with my buddy and I don't know, he didn't have data or something. So I was using maps, but he had one of those like car mounts and I had the Pixel 3 XL without a case on it. And it just, it just magneted to the car mount. It was awesome. Just was like, That's we sick. like boom. And we're like, oh, it sticks. Awesome. And then, we, yeah, because he had like a magnet case on his phone and this one just worked. It was really cool. Um, but yeah, moving on, we'll just go back. I'm sort of, I had this structured where we kind of go a brief overview with Apple's strategy and some questions regarding the whole sort of announcement as a whole and this whole new product lineup. And then we Let's got into it. the specifics of the 12, 12 Pro and the iPad Air. But uh, so first of all, we've got four iPhones this year, six if you count the SE, uh, eight if you count the 10R and the 11 What's going on with Apple's new strategy? So I, I I wouldn't include the 10R and the and the um the 11 anymore. Really, they're they're gonna still sell them for now, but just like 
they're, they'll disappear soon. Like I don't Maybe. think they're going to be sold by the Apple Store. At least like, the Apple Store for much longer. The carriers are going to continue selling them at discounts. The fact um, that the 10R is still here makes me think we'll see the 11 for a little longer. I think I think we will at, at carriers. I don't know about Apple, but it's possible. It's hard to tell, really. But I mean, with with the other, with the four other iPhones, the iPhone 12, the iPhone 12 Mini, the iPhone <laughs> 12 Pro, and the iPhone 12 Pro Max. I think what's most fascinating this year is that we got the iPhone 12 and then the iPhone 12 Pro first, and we're getting the mini and the max later. And to me, as someone who covers Apple all the time, the mini and the max are the far more interesting devices because the the mini is like this cute little tiny guy, right? Like we haven't seen a phone this small with this many modern features from Apple in in years. Like it's going to be pretty exciting to check it out. And then the Pro has like several kind of high-end camera features that uh, the Pro Max, I mean, has several high-end camera features that the the Pro doesn't have. Uh, so I, I think what Apple ended up doing was like, whether it's COVID-19 related, I actually, I think that's precisely why. There's probably manufacturing issues and they could only get the uh, the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 12 Pro up to scale. So they, they ship those out first. And those are their two, likely their two highest selling iPhone models. So I think... That's why we have the release schedule. As for the mini, like I, I think there's a demand out there for a smaller phone. I think that that's something that we see time and time again, um, especially from Apple's like core casual smartphone audience. They they don't want a big phone. They want this tiny thing that they can like drop into their pocket or drop into their purse. So um, it, it's kind of nice to to see Apple actually listening to those complaints and releasing a phone that fits within um within that description uh do you want to build off that john or can i squeeze in um yeah i i just agree pretty much with what pat's saying i think the the mini is to me at least the far more interesting of all of them because it's been a long time since apple has done a nice small phone like that um and this is going to be the first time that we're going to have a nice small phone with apple's kind of new uh, design with the notch and you know gesture navigation and all that so I'm really excited to see the mini in in person and see how it works and I think if I was an iPhone customer I feel like I would probably be buying the mini if I were buying one of the new iPhones that's like it's 5.4 inches it's so expensive though inches. for what it is I mean, I mean it but, depends on how you you look at it right like it's it's got all of the the modern iPhone features, like it has uh, Face ID, the faster processor, all of the camera stuff that the 12 has. But it's this little like tiny thing. I, I don't know. It's gonna. It's one of those things where like I really need to have it in my hand. And I'm not. It's not for me. Like I'm not fond of of small phones. But I'm really interested in um, just seeing how it feels in, in in the hand when you when you actually have it. Yeah. And like, I, I know I am fond of small phones. Um, like I absolutely love the pixel four a, um, but bigger phones, like to me, they just, they don't feel as nice or like, they don't feel as comfortable in my hand. Like it feels awkward using them. I feel like I have to really stretch my hand in awkward ways. I like big phones in that. I like having all that screen space. If I'm, you know, watching something or playing a game or, or whatever I'm doing on my phone, having the big screen is nice. And that's kind of why I love this new trend of, you know, 
slim bezels and you know nearly edge-to-edge displays and really maximizing the front of the phone because you can get some decently sized phone screens on phones that really aren't that big so you know 5.4 inches sounds really small compared to you know 6.1 inches or the the what is it 6.7 of the pro max now um but also compare it to a couple years ago like 5.4 inch was the high end like that was the biggest that you could get and it still felt massive right so it's kind of been a really big shift and that's i found as that shift has happened i've moved more and more towards smaller screens because i'm still getting enough screen space to do the things that i like to do on my phone but the phone itself is a lot smaller now okay that's fair i think you may have convinced me i'm still going to say what i was going to say although i'm not as convinced in it anymore but basically i was just going to say a lot of the people that i know that don't really care about larger phones just don't really care about phones in general so those people i think would fall more in the se camp just because it's that much cheaper and like you still get a fast processor you still get touch id so so you get some security you still get a pretty decent camera so and that's for what like 600 or is it 699 anyone know and it's, it's within it's within that that price range um, it's still much cheaper the than the thousand dollar mini right so yeah, yeah. I, I just it just feels crazy that apple's phones are gonna get it they all have oled displays there's this new design the magsafe stuff 5g like there are things here that i'm sure add cost it's just so expensive um which yeah, it, it rattles absolutely. me because last year we got the iPhone 11, which was like this awesome phone that was pretty much just as good as all the phones that came out this year, except for the screen, in my opinion. The other things, MagSafe, 5G, very negligible. The camera, but the camera was fine, still fine. The screen was fine, still fine. And I'm hesitant to believe that these new phones beat the iPhone 11 in battery life. So that, you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but the iPhone 11 was a tank. Like I haven't charged my phone since Tuesday like, at seven. I found that it was going. pretty much identical, even with like five G, which is supposed to drain battery life. Um, but it, it definitely doesn't surpass it. It was like pretty much the same experience. But I think that changes like depending on where you are. Like if I lived in the city and I was connected more frequently to five G networks, odds are I, I could be getting less battery life out of the phone. Um, that was actually one of the more difficult things to test when I was reviewing both devices. I would also say like something that's always kind of stood out to me with iPhones is I find their standby time is a little bit better than Android phones. And I'm not sure why that is, whether it's a software thing uh, that Apple's done or optimization or what the deal is. But like if I took an iPhone and I took an Android phone and they were at full charge and I both and I just left both of them on my desk the iPhone would last longer than the Android phone, like pretty much every time. Um, so I think that's definitely a factor. And I think if you get an Android phone with 5G, you're probably going to notice a bigger hit on battery life just because it doesn't perform as well on that standby time. As well as, you know, the new iPhones have the the smart data mode or whatever it's called that allows it to intelligently switch between 5G and 4G based on what it needs. Um so that's probably a factor as well. But yeah, I just, I don't think we have enough 5G coverage to really test and see how much of an impact it has on the battery life yet. Yeah, that's my fair. my big thing in my review, I talk about it quite a bit. It's like, don't buy this phone for 5G. Um, I, I know that some people didn't think it was fair, but like I ran 
test directly in my house, which is like, I, I live in a city. I live in, I live in Burlington and Rogers 5g network was getting less speed than, uh, my, uh, iPhone 11 pro max that is hooked up to Telus slash kudos network. That's on LTE. Um, and I know that's one example and I did like go drive around to Hamilton and like some other areas of the city and stuff like that. And I was getting faster speeds, but it was like a 10 to 15% increase. It wasn't like this mind blowing jump in, in technology that I think, um, the carriers are presenting it as, and, um, Apple to an extent is also presenting it that way. Like we're we're not going to see that till the 3,500 megahertz spectrum, auction happens and that all gets distributed between the carriers like 5g in canada as it is right now is a very minor upgrade and it's only an upgrade if you happen to live in an area where the speeds are really good so do not mm-hmm. buy these phones if you're like all in on 5g it's just it's not worth it i don't know i'm also interested to see in 5g <laughs> sorry go ahead. yeah uh, i was just gonna say that i also would be interested to see a comparison uh on the same network. So for example, Telus 4G versus Telus 5G or Bell 4G versus Bell 5G or Rogers 4G versus Rogers 5G because I know there are differences between the three networks and in my experience Bell and Telus generally have faster 4G than Rogers 4G. Yeah. Um and I've, it, that's not always the case across the board, but generally that's been my experience and I know like I've done when I was on Bell, I did tests on my phone where I was getting two or three hundred megabits per second down, and you showed me your test the other day, Pat, on five G getting like fifty down, and I was like, "That's awful." But like that would be bad in in my experience. That would be bad as a four G speed in Canada, mm-hmm. and yet that's the reality for so many people who don't live in select areas where you get really good speeds. Yeah, that, that was sort of my argument for including that that section in the review. I know there's some readers and some other people that didn't like it, but I, I just saw it as like a real world example. Like we're all working from home. I know we have Wi-Fi. My Wi-Fi was out for two hours yesterday. So I was using Rogers 5G network to do my work uh, with my phone being, uh, with tethering my laptop to my phone, right? So I, I, I just think that it's important to kind of present that to to our readers and our, and our audience because uh, like a lot of these claims surrounding 5G, they're not necessarily lies. They're just over over exaggerated. And um, just to speak to what you were saying before too, like I, I want to do that. I want to do a story where like I, I test 5G and LT on one network. It just wasn't possible in the time constraints of this review and like the resources mm-hmm. that I had available. But that is something that I, I do think is important. And a lot of readers suggested that we do that. So it's going to happen. It's just It's just going to take some time. Yeah. Ooh, one and thing like, oh, sorry. I would just really quickly on what yeah. you said, Pat. Um, the the test that you did, I think, is like perfectly legitimate. Just because you know one of the main kind of pitches that I've seen carrier carriers and phone makers and even Qualcomm make about five G is it's going to enable these work from anywhere experiences, and you know my response to that has almost always been okay, but you know, everybody's working from home right now on home internet, but what about when your home internet stops working? What are you going to rely on? Right. And you know, I've had a few instances or a few days where the internet's gone down and I've spent the day working off my data connection, you know, tethering with my phone. And, um, you know, I, 
5G will eventually make that experience a lot better, but it's already pretty decent as long as you have an okay 4G speed. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I think that's a pretty good and reasonable test to make. And I think it's kind of a testament to the fact that 5G is not quite where everybody says it is yet. Yeah, I was just going to pile on in the same boat. Like, yeah, I've worked from 4G on my phone, I don't know how many times. And yeah, it's not lightning fast, but it's totally doable, at least for what we do, which is a lot of like using the web browser to like research things and having, you know, WordPress open and TweetDeck just like loading constantly. Like there's some pretty heavy duty internet things that I use for work, but 4G was able to handle it. Like I've even done it like in moving vehicles. Like, you know what I mean? Like I don't, I'm not sold on 5G at all because I don't know why I need, like I would like it to be faster, but I'm not willing to pay for anything faster than what it is. I can already like stream 1080p Netflix almost anywhere like that I go. Um, and I don't see 5G like turning the switch into of rural Canada into like this amazing internet space. Like that's not going to happen. 5G is going to be probably concentrated in the same place as LTE is. Like I just don't see it becoming like anything worth upgrading with in a long time. Like, do we even have 4k phone screens like what are we downloading that's so huge i don't think it's taken me more than a minute to download an app since i moved to toronto like i don't know i don't think i'm sold on it Um, yeah and i think i think the main argument that will be used for 5g um is not just faster speed but better overall capacity you know handling more people on the network enabling new experiences through you know lower latency and you know, more dense coverage and and all that stuff. But those are things that aren't going to be fully realized until we have, you know, a more mature rollout of things like millimeter wave and just, yeah, overall network maturity. Like once 5G has really saturated through the network, I think we'll start to see some of the benefits that, you know, carriers and manufacturers are talking about. But I still think we're in Canada, we're definitely several years away from that point. And with the COVID situation that's going on in the pandemic and everybody working from home, I think we're honestly even further away because you have to leave your house and move around to get those benefits. And people just aren't doing that as much now. And you have to go into a city. It's not like leave your house and go up to Algonquin Park and test 5G in the woods by yourself. It's like, no, nah, go downtown Toronto where everyone is, where you don't want to be. And then you get to test no, 5G. Yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, we'll move on from 5G. Basically, as people have said, it's sure it's fast, sure it's fun, but it's not worth it. Like, I don't know. And it's unfortunate that it got put into the iPhones this early and it's raising the, they, the price seems to have went up as with most Android phones because of the addition. Beyond that, the analyst Ming-Chi Ko, who is pretty popular and, and seems to be right a lot of the times, is estimating that this is he's, the most popular. He's, he's pretty much always right. Perfect. Um then this is going to be pretty factual. But they're esti- or he's estimating that this is going to be the most popular iPhone series since the iPhone 6 series. Um, so the iPhone 6 was the first like big screen iPhones. We would look at the 6 as like a small iPhone now, but back when that came out, that was like, whoa, is that even going to fit in my pocket? And don't even get me started on the 6 Plus. Like that was crazy at the time. Um, but people love them. They apparently sold like 24 or not 24, 4 million in the first like 24 hours with that series roughly. And the iPhones that have come out so far, the iPhone 12 and 12 Pro are estimated around 1.7 to 2 million. So they're expecting with the next round being the 12 mini and the 12 Pro Max to hit somewhere around there again to really boost popularity. 
I'm not sure if I'm sold on that uh, just because I don't know if people like, I don't know, everyone has like good phones. I don't see a lot of people with like super old phones anymore. Um, but we'll, we'll still have to wait and see. What do you guys think? I think that like, so one, there's a global pandemic, right? So some people are going to hold off on upgrading their phones because they're out of work or, or money's tight or several factors there. But I, I do think changing the look of a device and like, I get it. I know that this is not an entirely new redesign. It like takes inspiration from the iPad Pro. It's kind of a throwback to the iPro, uh, the iPhone 4 era. Um, but I think that when you change the look of a phone, you really encourage people to go out and buy one, even if they might not quite need one yet. So I could see it being one of the more popular like cycles for the iPhone. But I, I don't think that it's going to be like the most popular ever simply because we're like in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, my counter to that would be, I think if the iPhone 12 proves to be incredibly popular, it won't be because of any significant change that Apple has made. Um, and I don't even think it'll be because of 5G because universally people or reviewers at least have kind of been negative on the 5g inclusion because 5g just isn't ready for the masses yet i think the biggest factor is going to be that the iphone 6 series is what six years old now uh or, or older and if, if people are still holding on to those phones they're Kudos. probably well due for an upgrade um and, you know, I still see iPhone 6s all over the place. Obviously, you know, a lot of people have already upgraded, but the iPhone 6 almost seemed like a very, like a, a boon for Apple where so many people suddenly upgraded, got on the iPhone 6, and then they just held on to the iPhone 6 because nothing afterwards was inspiring enough for an upgrade, right? You know, yeah. if you got an iPhone 6 and then the iPhone 6S came out, well, it was the same phone, but a bit faster. And then the iPhone 7 and then the iPhone 8. You know, maybe you could have been convinced with the iPhone 10 with the first legitimate new design for an iPhone in such a long time. But then the iPhone 10, 10s, 11, they were all kind of the same design. And if you were like, I don't need to upgrade my phone because my 6s is working great. You there's a very real chance that you're still using that phone. And now might be the time where your phone is broken. It's it's on its last legs. It's running. It's 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 over and it's time to upgrade. So that I think would be the biggest reason that we'd see a spike in people upgrading their phones is they've just literally used their success and it's dead. There's no more points. that they can get out of it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah. I don't know exactly where I stand. I think these are popular. I've already had like three friends reach out being like, what do you think about the new iPhone? Which uh, doesn't happen every year. Um, and that's like very, uh, like cherry picking my own data here, but yeah, it seems to be like this is going to be a popular one. Um, personally, I'm not sold. I think if I was buying a phone, I'd probably still be going for the 11 just because of that cheaper price. And I'm not like I don't need 5G. The OLED screen would be nice, but I've seen the iPhone 11 screen. I use it, and I'm like, I have no problems with it. I go from OLED Android phones to the iPhone 11 phone all the time, and I, meh, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, basically, we kind of went through everything else. We already talked about wireless charging or MagSafe and 5G. So I guess just the last thing before we move on to the specifics of the phone and talking about Pat's review, um, out of these four models, which one's the most appealing to you guys? You guys kind of seemed like you were leaning towards the mini, or John at least seemed like he was leaning towards the mini. I'm not sure where Pat is falling. 
Uh, for me, it's the Max, right? Like, so I, I, like I said before, I reviewed the iPhone 12 and I reviewed the iPhone 12 Pro. Both are 6.1 inches. I've been using a Max iPhone or a Plus iPhone prior to that for like so long that it felt super restrictive to go back to that smaller display. And I know there's not a huge difference, but like there's there's weird stuff that I didn't think I'd encounter. Like even just typing on it with two hands felt weird. Like my fingers felt cramped. Watching YouTube content felt weird. Even the fact that the phone just doesn't feel as substantial in my hand um, didn't like I wasn't fond of it. Like, but th- but that was a very personal me thing. It's because I've been using the Max for so long. But there's also like other stuff that the Max offers that I think I would be interested in as someone who does a lot of smartphone photography. There's like an 1.7 micron pixels uh, now in it. It has sensor shift image stabilization, and this is technology that's commonly found in in DSLRs, and it has 2.5 times um, optical zoom, which and the ProRes I, I use, yeah, and the, and the ProRes stuff. Well, well, the ProRes also with the um, the 12 Pro too, I believe. It's not right, with right, the, right, the 12. Right. It's just the the Pro model phone. So if you bought the 12 Pro, you would still get that. Um, for me, it, like ultimately, it's. The photography stuff's cool, but it's really just the screen size. I like big phones. I It's really hard for me to go back to small ones. Fair enough. Yeah, that keyboard thing, I, I was just about to say, like, um, that's something you get used to. I mean, like, as as everyone on this I'm podcast sure I can would. attest to, the switching between, like, every time I switch to a new phone, I start text people, texting people. They're like, are you drunk? I'm like, no, like, I just switched to a new phone. My fingers <laughs> have no idea how to adjust to this, like, slightly taller or slightly wider keyboard. And I'm going to be, like, messing up words for the next, like, week until I figure it out. So that's just something that happens. But I, I think generally you get used to it over time. Um, yeah, absolutely. I did want to jump on that really quickly. I know I've made it very clear that I would be a fan of the mini. Um, but my experience, I've been using the Pixel 4a 5G and the Pixel 4a for the last long while. And the Pixel 4a 5G is really big. I would say that it's on the upper end of size, phone size that I would like and It's just right on that edge of being comfortable for me to use. And going back to the 4A, which is a 5.8 inch screen, the 4A feels tiny, but it's, it's just because I've been using the 4A 5G. And I think there's something to be said for kind of just being in that like habit of being used to using a specific size of phone. And when you switch, it feels really, really different. But if I were to use a 4A for you know, a week, I would probably get used to it. And then the 4A 5G would feel massive again. So it's just kind of, you know, that muscle memory and being used to what you're using. And if you give it enough time, you would eventually adapt. But yeah, I, uh, I agree with you, Bennett. Typing on a new phone is always really difficult for like the first couple of days. And then eventually your fingers just kind of figure it out and you're okay again. Yeah. And um, I think just for to me answering my own question, I think I'd have to boil down to the iPhone 12. Uh, I think the mini is just, this is more like, this is all wants and subjectives. It's nothing based really on specs for this, but the iPhone 12 still has the OLED screen. So, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com 
oh, I'm happy about that. I don't need to go up to pro for that. Um, but I think it's just a, a better size for me compared to the mini. But yeah, I don't really know if I'm sold on the pro models. I mean, Pat's review shows that the photography is a little better and it might even get a lot better with the pro max. Um, but it's just a little better and you can only, you could only see it with those images side by side. And that's only in specific lighting conditions too. Like they're just so similar. I, I just can't imagine paying that extra yeah, yeah. $250 even, for like the that, pro model. The, that's kind of like the whole point of my iPhone 12 review. It's like the pro is, is better, but it's not that much better. And the fact that the 12 now features the OLED screen, like I know there's a bit of a price increase that comes with that. It's it's close to $300 compared to last year's iPhone 11, um, which sucks. Like I, I think it should be a little bit, a little bit cheaper. Um, but yeah, no one really needs to get the pro unless you're the type of person that needs to have the best of the best. And you're really into smartphone photography. Like when you take those 11, a 12 and 12 pro shots and you put them beside each other, like there's some in my review, you, you cannot see the difference. Like they're very, very similar. You have to go into the minutia of the photo with like noise, dynamic range. Like the average person, if they look at those two shots, they'd be like, they're the same. I'm getting the 12. It's cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there was something funny in, in the Verge review of the 12 Pro or Neela. I was just like, yeah, you get the 12 Pro because you like shiny things. You're my people. I get that. Yeah, but, I yeah, saw that last night. That's <laughs> like it. Just like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just about to ask you for an overview on both the phones, but you kind of just gave us one. Um, so basically, is there anything else you want to add to that overview just as we move on to yeah, the phone specifically? I, I think... Sure. I, I think I could talk a little bit about the, the redesign um, mm, and kind of how I, I grew to grew to like it. Um, and I know some people kind of like cringe when I call it a redesign. But to me, like in the context of these incremental phone updates, this is the most substantial change we've seen to the iPhone's look since the iPhone 12. So in my mind, it really is a redesign. Um, the, the squared off edges at first, like I didn't like them, to be quite honest. I, I wasn't fond of them. I thought it was weird. I thought it made the phone feel cheap. But over the last, I think I've had the phone since last Thursday now, so close to a week. Um, it's really, really grown on me. It gives the phone like a different grip when you're holding in your hand that I like, which makes it far less slippery. Um, the edges themselves are like really nice if you run your finger down them. It, it In general, like overall, seems like a positive step forward in the smartphone's design. The one thing that kind of like irks me a little bit is that the Pro has this kind of stainless steel rim that runs around it and it's an absolute positive like grease magnet um which is disappointing because it still has like that great rear that's uh completely matte and doesn't get grease on it or anything so it's weird that the higher end 12 pro and and eventually the 12 pro max has this like what apple calls like high-end stainless steel that is just a grease magnet whereas the 12 um just has aluminum sides which to me actually feel better they're matte first of all and they just don't like have any kind of like they're not gonna they're not gonna hold grease um and it just makes the phone look generally cleaner at all times they kind of match uh, the ipad air and ipad pros design a little more too with that matte yeah instead of gloss yeah that when we talk about the air i'll talk more about about that too i i think that shocked me like i didn't expect to like the iphone 12's design and the iphone 12's colors more than what I've seen of uh, the 12 Pro. That wasn't something that going into this review and getting these devices I thought was going to happen, um, but it's definitely the case. And then I think the, the only other like major thing worth noting is that like I get that 
close to $300 is a huge, like it's a huge cost on top of an already expensive phone. But what you get with that now is the, the OLED screen, which when you put the display of the iPhone 12 directly beside the iPhone 11, you do see a difference. I do anyways, in terms of color vibrancy and just overall, like it looks better. But I don't think that that's something that the average smartphone user is going to notice, which is what you were saying before, Bennett. So like if you have an iPhone 11 and you're upgrading because you're like, oh, I OLED screen, probably don't do that. You're cool with the 11. The photography upgrades, like the low light performance, the nighttime selfies, all that stuff, super cool. But I don't think it's enough to upgrade from like last year's phone. Maybe if you have an earlier iPhone, um, like you're still rocking a seven or a six or, or whatever, or even a 10, it might be worth upgrading. But it, like, this is not a year where, where you're missing out on anything super substantial other than that redesign. Yeah. If you're upgrading just to be cool, like get a leather jacket and save yourself 250 bucks, you know, like easy, easy PC. Yeah, We're done. Here. Sick leather jacket. Yeah. Like a, a leather bracelet maybe, or a necklace. Who knows? There's other ways to be cool people. Yeah. Get a jacket. Um, a necklace and a bracelet. Pat, just a, a question for you about the new design. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to see or hold the phones in person yet, uh, thanks to you know everybody working remotely. But in all the pictures, like the new squared edges, just make the iPhone 12 and 12 Pro look really, really thick. And basically, I, I want to know if they're actually that thick, or if it's kind of just you know an optical illusion or the appearance of the photo. Um, so what are they like? It, it, it really is an optical illusion when you have them in your hand. Like, like so, of course, like I'm Mr. Case Man. I have them in a case, so it's a little bit thicker. But when you have the phone outside of a case, it looks thicker in pictures. 100% agree with you. When you're holding it in your hand, it doesn't feel thicker. Like, if you, if you, like what I was doing was I um, was testing exactly what you said. I had the 11 Pro Max in one hand and the 11 Pro in the other hand. I don't have um, an 11 Pro, so I couldn't do that direct comparison. But like, it doesn't feel thicker. It doesn't feel like a more substantial device in any way. It just feels different and it feels different in a good way because you're more easily able to grip the phone, um, if that makes sense. But it definitely doesn't look as chunky as it did uh, in pictures. That's that's good. Because I was like looking at some of the pictures and I'm like, man, this phone looks really chunky. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I wasn't I wasn't a fan, but yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, um, I think I think I like the looks. I don't know. I, I'm kind of so just in like my own personal preference. The last iPhone that I had before I started working at Mobile Syrup and started like kind of reviewing phones constantly, I bought the Seven Plus, but I bought it in the upgraded version. I think if you I think if you got the 128 storage or maybe it was only 256, it came in this like all glass, all, all glossy piano black design. Um, really and i i paid extra for the shine that time so i don't know i don't know about this time but yeah like that uh, at that point i was like it just looks so much cooler um i thought that was kind of a fun it's it's good that apple's like moved away from that but kind of thinking back i guess why i brought this up is it was interesting to look back and see that as almost like a precursor to this like pro and and uh, regular models it's like previously they did that hate- but all they added was gloss before at least now you get like some better camera features I hate glossy phones. I hope that never becomes a trend again. This like matte future is it's what I dream about. Yeah, that's fair. So just to be clear, the 
iPhone Pro Max is $1,549 compared to the $1,400 of the Pro. Um, and there are some camera improvements? Or are they just the same phone but different sizes? So they're, they're ostensibly like largely the same phone. Um, but there are some differences with the 12 Pro Max. Uh, so I, I mentioned them before. Um, it features a larger primary sensor. Apple's talking about like 1.7 microns. Uh, there's other changes like sensor shift image stabilization, which is a DSLR technology and 2.5 uh, times zoom. But they're, I don't know how much difference that tech is going to make until I get my hands on it, right? And that's that's what's really weird about this year uh, because I think I'm going to end up doing a review of the Pro Max because of those camera differences and maybe combine the mini into my current iPhone 12 review and then do like a separate story just about it. it it's just strange because like I wish the way it worked was like Apple was like, here's the 12 and here's the mini. Those devices are the same. Can review them at the same time. No problem. But instead it's like that that's not how it worked out. Yeah. The rule is um, weird. But but yeah, to a- answer your question, like they're pretty much the same phone other than the size. There's like some minor camera stuff. But it's, it's really the type of situation where we need to get our hands on it. We need to try it. We need to put it through its paces to see if those claims that Apple's making about the camera improvements on the, the 12 Pro Max are, are legitimate. Interesting. So with kind of like all the new Pro features this year, especially like Pro Raw um, being one of the like kind of things that I could see like not being, not meaning anything to like average consumers, but to like actual professionals who shoot photography, this like instantly makes their iPhone a little more usable. Um, do you think we see like a shift for the pro models kind of like with the iPad line where there's definitely like a consumer iPad and there's an iPad for people who want to get work done? Like are the phones going that way? The branding has went that way for the past few years, but previously I wouldn't say that there was a big difference and you weren't really buying one of these phones for work ever. But is that starting yeah, to change? I mean, I mean, I don't think pro for a really long time has ever meant professional in the context of Apple devices. Uh, I think it just means more expensive with more features and that's what they, they kind of view view pro as. Um, but it, it's difficult. It's difficult to, to tell until like I, I, I try the, the pro max, but like that was the, the whole kind of crux of my iPhone 12 review is like no one needs to get the pro. Um, unless you're, you're, you like shiny things, like, like Neelai said, um, you definitely don't need to, to enter the, the pro world. You'll be more than happy with, with the iPhone 12 because the difference between those two devices is so incredibly marginal now. Um, John, do you think there's a future where like the iPhone pros are, are sort of like work, work machines in the way that like a Mac, a MacBook pro is or an iPad pro is? Um, no. And I think I agree with Pat that uh, Apple's pro branding hasn't really meant professional for a long time. It's kind of just meant bigger and more expensive so that you have the shiny new thing to show off. Um, which, you know, kind of sounds like a scathing indictment of Apple's product strategy, but you know, that's just kind of the way it's been. And even, even as far back as the, the 10 S and the 10 S max, I would say that the, the like the 10s was or the 10r sorry was more than capable for the vast majority of totally. consumers and there was really no significant reason to go up to the 10s max other than the OLED screen and even that 
like most people, if you show them the phone side by side, probably won't notice the difference. And if they do notice the difference, aren't willing to pay the difference in cost for it. And I think that's very much the case still with the 12 and the 12 Pro and, and Pro Max. Um, there's just not enough there to make people do the jump. And if you're a tech savvy person like us, you know, you might look at the different things and go, okay, you know, those things are worth it for me. Mm-hmm. But the benefit of being super tech savvy is that, you know, you have a better understanding of the value of those differences and can make a better judgment call of whether you will actually make use of those things. Right. So in your case, Pat, you look at the 12 pro max and you say, okay, it does these little things that are different with the camera that I think will actually make the camera experience better for me. And, you know, I would justify making that jump just for those features. But the average consumer probably doesn't have that same uh, knowledge uh, to be able to look at those things and go, okay, those things are worth the extra cost for me. That's fair. I guess this the basis of this, basis of this question kind of just like stemmed from the pro raw format just because like that seemed like such a thing that like photographers could take advantage of. But outside of that realm, like maybe video, although what I learned from watching all the reviews last night is the Dolby vision, like even the high end HDR that the iPhone shoots in is really only compatible with the iPhone. So it's like, yeah, maybe that's not, maybe that's not there yet, but someday it seems, I still think that someday it will happen. Um, That's, that's a really good thing to note about the the Dolby Vision, and it wasn't even something that I I realized when when I wrote my review. But even even if it wasn't just its own format, like Dolby Vision is not it's not even supported by YouTube, right? Like so, yeah. the only place you can watch these videos is like on your phone or maybe select televisions that support Apple's format. And and per the Verge's review and some other reviews that did a little bit of a deeper dive into that um, content, that part of the phone, I mean, um, it it just doesn't. And then, like the the thing to note about the the new like, um, what are they? It's pro pro. What are what are Apple's new? Um, what's the so, new format for RAW that they're calling Pro RAW? Yeah, Pro, pro RAW. Yeah, Pro RAW. Like that's that's not available yet, even right. That was something mm-hmm. that I was excited to test out. That I thought was going to be really cool. I shoot RAW on my DSLR. If I didn't shoot RAW with my DSLR, my photos would look brutal. Um, <laughs> that's just being yeah. like completely blunt like it's an important part of my production process for taking taking photos uh what i will say about pro raw which i find super super strange is like okay apple's releasing this format they want people to be able to change their phone uh, their photos great that's super cool it's great that it's directly integrated into uh, ios 14 but they still don't have options even on the pro level phones within their main camera app for like adjusting stuff like aperture and shutter speed and things Mm -hmm. like that so like you want people to be able to adjust photos in post-production but you don't want them to be able to do it like just with the camera app which seems like i know you can get a third-party app i know that the 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 new raw format is going to be available to third-party app developers so we're going to see that for sure it is 100% for sure. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so we're going to see we're going to we're going to see that, but like it's weird that Apple didn't take the initiative and do some sort of like manual camera controls. Yeah, that's that's fair. It seemed like something that was seemed so obvious with all this like pro raw stuff, but they just left it behind. Um, but yeah, does anyone have anything else to say on that? Yeah, just just on the camera stuff, um 
this is something that I'm I'm going to talk about a little bit in my 4A 5G review, but smartphone cameras to me, like the perfect or the ideal smartphone camera or the successful smartphone camera, whatever term you want to use, is one that is simple enough that somebody who has no idea what they're doing can take a good photo. And so for me, that means I see something I want to take a photo of. I take my phone out of my pocket. I open the camera, hit the button, put my phone back in my pocket, and I never have to think about, was that photo good? I don't have to worry. Did it take a good photo? I just know that it did. And I have that confidence. Exactly. Um, and, you know, if you look at the the Pixel phones and I think the iPhones, they've more or less done that for the last couple of years. And... Um, to me, there's no reason to add these pro-level controls because you're not going to get enough benefit out of pro-level controls on a camera that a camera that is as limited as what is on a phone as you would on a, on a DSLR or a mirror, mirrorless camera that can actually take advantage of all those settings. And when you adjust shutter speed and aperture and all that stuff, it's not just you know, making subtle tweaks to get a better photo, it can actually really change the end result of the photo and make for a much better photo. And to me that all that technical stuff goes a lot more into the actual art of photography and trying to do something very specific with a photo than it does just capturing an image and moving on. So, you know, I, I get the, the, the kind of desire to have those pro level controls, but to me, it just doesn't make sense for what you, for what most people will use a smartphone camera to do. You're kind of right on that sense too. Like, yeah, there are pro controls on the OnePlus phones. And that's something that I use a lot as people know. Um, but like, I never use them because like, what's the point of changing the aperture between like 1.5 and 1.6, you know, you're like, you're not getting like noticeable differences really. Um, yeah, like maybe I'd change exposure, but that's like it. I'm not changing. Like there's just a lot. Yeah, you're right. There's not many things you can actually change on a, on no, a smartphone. I, I totally agree. And and like even remember when Samsung made a big deal about variable aperture a while ago, everybody forgot about that like super yeah. quickly. I, I don't think it's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is just from a strategic perspective, it seems weird. Like you want people to be able to uh, change their photos with Rob, but you don't seem interested in letting them also change them before pre-production it's like this weird i guess disconnect um but the way that john's positioning it like i kind of understand where apple's coming from a little bit more now yeah to me the the more interesting part of pro raw would be um how third-party apps tie into it so for example something that i've thought of is let's say that instagram rolls out some sort of pro raw editing support so then you go to upload a photo you've taken to instagram and in the normal Instagram editing flow with your filters and everything very good are, point. you know, exposure tweaks and stuff like that, that tie into the pro raw and do more or better enhancements than the just surface level stuff that Instagram does now. So to me, that would be a much more interesting use case for pro raw than taking your photo and then tweaking it in whatever way that Apple has designed currently. That's fair. That's a really good point. That didn't even occur to me, like dropping it directly into something like Instagram. Um, that that's that's super smart. Mm-hmm. That'll be interesting. I'm wondering if Instagram already has some sort of like raw editing power because of the ability to shoot raw on Android for so long. But even if they don't, I wouldn't be surprised if they support this. But yeah, there's hundreds of apps that need to, and and that's going to be a time. Like even Adobe's apps on 
on iOS are going to need to like come up with a way to support this pro raw format. And we don't know if it's going to be as easy as supporting raw formats like they already do, or if this is some whole Apple workaround that's going to take a lot of magic to really get it to work. Who knows? But yeah, I guess like moving on from that, do you guys think there's anything missing from these phones? Like are you kind of holding them being like, I wish Apple would have really done this. We, I mean, we just talked about pro camera controls, but beyond that, is there anything else? Uh, 120 Hertz. Ah, yeah, uh, that's <laughs> basically it. <laughs> um, I wrote a whole article about this and I think that the iPhone 12 pro and pro max were the perfect iPhones for Apple to introduce 120 Hertz. And I think that not doing that is a pretty significant miss if only because these phones are so ridiculously expensive that anything comparable on the Android side is pretty much guaranteed to have 120 Hertz. And if I, I mean, there's probably not that many people out there that are comparing the note 20 ultra and the iPhone 12 pro max and trying to decide which of the two they're going to buy. Most people are firmly in their brand camp and aren't looking to switch. Um, But it just, if you're paying so much money and you're not getting the 120 Hertz, it just, it seems ridiculous to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I, it's perplexing why they didn't add it this year. I don't know if it was COVID-19 related manufacturing issues, concerns related to battery life with like 5g, um, coupled with 120 Hertz would be this massive hit to how long the phones can last, but it, it seems really weird. Um, I kind of talked to Apple about it in behind the scenes briefings and stuff like that. And they mostly just dodged the question and kind of positioned 120 Hertz as a gimmick, which is something that I've seen some of our readers surprisingly even say when we know that that's not the case. Like you can see it. It's clear. Apple even has it in its iPad Pro, right? Like, so they're obviously serious about the technology. It's it's clearer. You can see it. You can notice it. But... um... Oh, crap, I might sneeze. It's something that, yeah, you can see and you can feel. But like once you kind of like if you're used to 60 hertz, you're used to 60 hertz, you know, like you're not getting the upgrade, but it's not like it's a downgrade. You know what I mean? Like we've been using 60 hertz devices for, I don't know, since they put people on the moon, maybe like it's been forever. Like, you know, like these, I know that's an exaggeration, but um, like it's fine. I mean, I use tons of OnePlus phones with 90 and 120 hertz displays and sure that they're nice. But like I said, I've switched back to the iPhone 11 recently and I didn't even notice it at all. So I get that and you guys like- see it and other people do, but I'm not sold on it either. I'm not saying it's a gimmick. Yeah. I'm just not saying it's necessary. And that's, I think that's, that's kind the of argument the- John made. Okay, yeah, okay. like... I don't I don't think it's the be all end all like most important new smartphone feature out there. But um, and I say that having, you know, I was using the Pixel 4 as my primary device with 90 hertz. And then when I moved to the 4A and the 4A 5G to do those reviews, I missed having the 90 hertz. But the difference wasn't so much that I switched back to the Pixel 4. I've continued to use the 4A and the 4A 5G because those phones for me as a whole and the way that I use them are better than the pixel four. And as much as I like 90 Hertz, that alone is not enough to bring me back to the pixel four after using the four a and the four a five G. And so kind of what my argument is, is with the iPhones in particular, the average consumer, I think we've kind of established the average consumer should be buying the iPhone 12 if they're buying an iPhone this year at all. Um, or even an older iPhone and getting a deal. Um, If you're buying the iPhone 12 Pro or Pro Max, 
you're probably either super tech savvy, super into photography, or just want the latest and greatest that Apple can build into a phone. And if you exist in any of those three camps, 120 Hertz probably matters to you. Um, And so that's why I think that it's a pretty big miss to not have it at least on the pro level phones. Yeah. And I mean, and you said too, like the price you're paying for the iPhones, it's comparable to prices you're paying for Android phones that have it. So it's kind of expected. And I get that as well. So yeah, you're probably right. It is, it is kind of a miss um, that Apple didn't add it. I guess what I'm saying is I just don't think people will miss it that it's not here. Yeah. And I, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't think people will miss it. And you know, at the end of the day, it's really not the biggest upgrade, but I think it's a more palpable upgrade than probably anything else that Apple has added to the iPhone 12 line this year. Uh, I would say that most people will feel 120 hertz more than they will feel 5G currently. That will probably change in the coming months and years as 5G rollout increases. But right now, you're going to notice 120 hertz way more on any phone. Fair. But let's move on to talk about another device that's missing 120 hertz display, the $779 starting price iPad Air. Pat, you've gotten hands-on with it. Your review is... Did it go up today? Yeah, it went live. The review is live. What do you think about the iPad Pro or iPad Air? <laughs> that's not a pro. Could be. I think, I think I'm tired. That the, <laughs> That's my review of it. No, um, I, I think it's like... So it's interesting, like I I reviewed the entry level iPad, right? The new one. Um, And I said that this is the only iPad that anyone should ever truly buy because it looks great um, with the caveat that as long as you're just using it as a media consumption device or doing like light word processing on it or whatever. Um, I think the Air, on the other hand, is the like, quote unquote, pro level high end iPad that someone should be buying if they're looking to replace their laptop. Uh, I couldn't do that. I could not do my job slowly on an iPad easily. There would be workarounds. I could make it happen, but it would be painful and I would not enjoy it. <laughs> but you you could make it happen and it, and it could, it could work. Um, I think what's really weird about this iPad is that it's, it's more powerful than the when you run benchmarks, it's almost more powerful than the iPad Pro 2020. Like the single core is higher, but the multi-core is a little less. And it's kind of hard to tell why, but I think it's just related to RAM. Like the iPad Air has slightly less RAM than the iPad Pro. And, and that's kind of why it doesn't hit the same multi-core score. Um, but in general, like this, this thing's sick. Like the colors are great. I didn't get the green one, unfortunately. But the the blue one that I have... It's really nice looking, has that same squared off design. I think that some people could probably use it as a laptop replacement. That's kind of how I view it. Like if, if you want to ditch your laptop and you want to and you want to go the iPad OS tablet route, this is the one you should buy. Don't get the Pro. The 120 hertz isn't worth it. The LiDAR sensor isn't worth it. Those are things that some people might care about, but I don't think the average iPad user will care about. This device is going to be more than powerful powerful enough to do everything that you need to do with it. And it's compatible with most of the iPad Pro's accessories. Like I attached it to the Magic Keyboard. I I didn't like look at Apple's uh, press release ahead of time and I was shocked that it actually works. Of course, there's like kind of this weird like little hole because there's only one one uh, 12 megapixel camera on the air compared to the the multiple shooters on the 
the iPad Pro, but it, but it works and it works well. Like that said, I, I don't buy that keyboard. Like it's too much money. <laughs> you don't get it. Just get a third party one. Um, but yeah, long, long story short, to me, this is the high end iPad that people should buy, not the Pro. The Pro really doesn't make that much sense anymore. Like this thing has USB C even, right? There's there's so little reason to to get a Pro at this point that Apple's iPad line kind of just doesn't doesn't make sense in in the current context of what devices are available and how powerful they are. Yeah, it's like get the Pro if you want to be editing like higher quality video at 120 frames per second. But it's like who's doing that on their iPad? So why yeah, why is the Pro here? Yeah, even um, then, like man, this the scores are are like so similar. Like the 11 inch iPad Pro. Well, I'm thinking uh, not even about the scores. Heat. I'm thinking just about the screen. You just get like a slightly clear. I, like, is the screen resolution better on the Pro a little bit? And the 20 hertz. So I'm it's like maybe it's a little clearer. Like you're hitting that edge. It's the resolution is like slightly higher, but it's the same screen. Other than that, and the lack of the 120 hertz. Like if you put those two displays beside each other, I mean, like the Pro hits a slightly higher peak brightness. But if you put those two displays beside each other, which I did, that was a big part of the review process for me last night. They look the same. Like everything pretty much looks the same on them. And like even the benchmarking stuff that I was talking about where there's like a bit of a, a difference, like I'm, I'll just open my review because I know some people care about this. Like the iPad Air for single core, 1,579. Uh, for multi-core, 4,275. The 11 inch 2020 Pro, 1,113 for single core. Um, and then 4,607 for multi-core. So like even in those benchmarks, because it features that newer um, A14 processor, it's like pretty much the same. And like, I know that the iPad Pro has the A12X, so there's like a little bit disparity there. And it's kind of confusing because the numbers don't match up and it doesn't really make sense. But like this thing's powerful and it's going to be more than powerful enough to do probably 95% of the things that people need it to do. The thing is, um, my concern is that, yeah, it's got all this power, but can you actually do anything with it? All dressed with the up software with that's on it. Exactly, I, I, right? So for me, I can't. Like, I can do stuff. I can edit photos. I edited all the photos for my review with it. Would I do my day-to-day job at mobile syrup with a device like this? No, um, I couldn't. But I think it really depends on what you do for work, right? Although like, we have to be close, right? Like Photoshop is there. It doesn't work well, but I mean, like give it like a couple more updates and then what else do we need? For me, I need the, the multi-monitor support. That's a big thing. That still doesn't True. exist. And I thought would be big. 14. Yeah. 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 I need to I be able that. to have, have two displays. The trackpad stuff really helped with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I, it, it's hard. Cause like I do this, this is the only job that I've ever done. Like blogging journalism. So to put myself in someone else's shoes in terms of what they do for work is is difficult. But if you like, if you're a dude that looks at spreadsheets all day, right? You know what I mean. You you yeah. could probably get away with using an iPad Air. Um, if you're someone who like a big part of your job is just responding to to emails and like you don't need to do video editing, you don't need to do photo editing. Two monitors isn't your thing. You could get this Air with a nice third party keyboard, and you'd have this super portable, like futuristic work device i think that that's very possible for for people that are in professions that don't necessarily do what we do and i bennett you're right like i think in a couple years maybe i could switch to an ipad air or an ipad pro 
Um, once iPad OS gets a little more functionality, more apps start to adapt to like the mouse, uh, the mouse and trackpad support. But will I want to? Probably not, because I don't want to relearn a new operating system. Like I have yeah. a way of doing things with Mac OS that works really well. Um, and I'm probably not going to be willing to change that. You just pulled this boomer comment I made full circle. Thank you. Exactly. I, I don't <laughs> I don't I don't live in your iPad future. I'm stuck in my ways. Yeah. I'll never change. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty much in the same boat as Pat. Like the thing that keeps getting me and the thing that I keep getting stuck on is iPad OS. And I'm sure we're very close. And honestly, you know, I don't know if you guys agree, but I think with Mac OS going to ARM based processors and, and the advent of a- Apple Silicon and all that stuff that's going on. <coughs> I think the situation with software is going to change a lot in the coming years. And I think we're going to get an influx of higher quality, you know, desktop class software uh, that works with both Mac OS and iPad as well as an influx of, you know, maybe not so great iPad software that's been kind of shoehorned in to work with the new Mac OS. Um, So we'll see how it goes. Uh, But for me, like, I just keep comparing the iPad Pro and the iPad Air to uh, Microsoft's Surface Pro devices. And, you know, I, I don't know what the direct comparison is in terms of, you know, benchmarks and power and whether the Intel chip or the iPad Air chip is better. But at the end of the day, I don't think that really matters because I can do more stuff on yep. the Surface Pro than I can on an iPad Air. I agree. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much what it comes down to for me. Uh, and until that changes, the iPad Air, well, any iPad just really isn't worth it. Um because the only thing I do with it is use it as a entertainment slash content consumption device. And I just don't need to spend $800 for the air, $400 for whatever the current low end iPad is. Um, even that for me is a bit too much for what I'd actually use the iPad air for or any iPad for. Fair enough. I think that kind of wraps up the iPad, but just quickly, yes or no, Colorful iPhones, colorful iPads, colorful Macs. Next, maybe. Yes. I hope no? so. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, be surprised. That would be incredible. Like, like if this new ARM-based Mac event happens in in November, like it, there's going to be colors. Could you imagine? Like, I just yeah. am dreaming of this world where I'm like sitting here, and this will never happen for me. But I'm sitting here with like a nice little colorful, maybe like a green Mac, and I've got like the blue iPad. I'm a yellow iPhone, although there is no yellow iPhone this year. Apple, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but that's a mistake. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like I, I like the colors and I think it's fun because I mean, for so long, Apple was like, you get a black option, you get a white option. We now have a dark gray option to sort of split the middle between black and white. And uh, now we have all these colors and they're starting to trickle out of just iPhones and into other things. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, I, I think it's really uh, a good move. Um, I love colorful devices. Uh, I'm really sad that Google's Pixel line is basically just black and then green if you get the pixel five this year i think that's pretty lame but on the whole i love this trend of really colorful devices and i'm hoping that the arm max kind of bring back that you know the do you guys remember those um are you going all the way back to the old max yeah yeah the old max with with the different colorful plastic uh on the back like i'm kind of hoping that the arm max revive that a little bit but modernized with the new uh mac apple colors or apple mm-hmm. colors that 
some kind of throwback we'll to that would be yeah. really cool. Um, but I, I think that's all we have to say on the iPad. Pat, do, do you have anything else you want to add or do you want to move on? That's it. I think it's the iPad to buy. If it's uh, if you're after a high-end iPad, don't don't buy the Pro. That's that's my closing. Cool. Yeah, I think that's super fair. Um, but yeah, let's just move on to like kind of what we're playing this week. So I'll just go first to get out of the way. Um, I'm playing this game called Rogue Jack. Uh, you can get it on Android, iOS, and PC. It's free on mobile it's like six bucks on pc it's relatively cheap it's super fun it's a roguelike dungeon crawler with an 8-bit art style so you're just going down through simple levels there's a couple of enemies per floor you clear them out maybe you find like some items you go down to the next floor it's a little harder you clear it out you continue down the twist is that instead of like an actual combat system you're just playing hands of blackjack against the enemies Um, And all the enemies play blackjack in different ways. So the rat is like the basic enemy and it will never, it will never draw another card. It will get two cards and it will show you both of the rats cards. So like they get a low score. That's cool. Six or whatever. And then, so you really don't have to pull cards. If you have higher than six, you'll just beat them. It's really quick. It's really easy. Um, They only have like one health. You get down a little further and there's like armored goblins who will a attack you for two health has three health itself. You only see one of their cards, like a regular sort of blackjack hand uh, it's where you don't see all of your opponent's cards, obviously. And they're smarter. Like they, you know, they won't hit on 16 and they'll like generally play more conservative, meaning they'll like win a lot more often. Um, so you kind of like have to play all these different styles against all these different enemies in the way you play blackjack, which is kind of fun. Um, and then on top of that, you can upgrade your character with like different weapons and stuff as you go. But every time you level up, you get like a different perk. So you start, you know, playing blackjack normally where you get to see your cards, but you don't get to see the cards you're drawing from. Um, and then you upgrade and you get to see the card you're drawing from. So you're like, oh, I have 20. I would normally not hit on a 20, but I can see that there's an ace on the top of the deck. So I'll just 21 it up for that, like, you know, damage boost or whatever. <laughs> um, and then as you get further on, like, I think I'm level six now and I have three cards, but only a 50% chance of seeing them and not all of them. So like maybe it'll throw, throw me three cards to choose from if I want to hit. Um, but one of them will be a king and I'll be able to see that. And the other two will be random. I won't get to see. So it's you are back in the sort of gambling zone. Um, but it's super fun. I'm like loving it. I'm just trying my best to get down to floor 21. There's got to be something there. Is it on mobile? Yeah. And it's great. You can play with one hand super quick. Like nice. it's like the game you can kind of pull out for like you're waiting for something. Just like crush a few floors and like and just put it back in your pocket when you get to like the front of the line or you're done your transit. Not that we do any transiting anymore, but um it's definitely a game that I find myself like reaching for when I have like some downtime because it's just so simple and easy to play and like really, really fun. And like, I'm just, I need to get to 21. So I, I, I can go next. I have cool. quite literally not been playing anything. Um, I may play apex tonight for the first time in a bit. I did play. Oh, oh man. My brain is shot. What is that game called Bennett? Oh, among us. We played among us last week. I played among us. Uh, with Bennett and a bunch of other people. And that was super fun. I hope to get back into that now that um, I can be a real human again. And these reviews are done. Um, but the one game I've like been dying to play is uh, Mario Kart live home circuit. I, I got a review unit last week, but there's some issues with like the actual copy of the game not being available ahead of time. So I couldn't even write about it. And then I was like, ah, whatever, I'll just play it after this iPhone stuff's done. Um, so this is basically like, you make a track in the real world and there's a real physical Mario Kart cart that you place on that track and then you like an drive RC it car. through. Yeah. Like an RC car and you drive it um, through augmented reality 
with uh, either the Switch or the Switch Lite. I, I've watched like some of the coverage of it, and it seems like it's a really cool concept, but it's kind of limited in how much of a game, quote unquote, it actually is. And it's it's like how creative you are with your tracks is really the appeal to it. So I'm I'm excited to uh, to delve into it. I have like a pretty quiet weekend for the first time. I don't have to review anything. There's nothing crazy going on. Bathrooms aren't leaking. So I'm going to spend a lot of time on Saturday uh, lying on my floor, building like crazy tracks and stuff like that. And hopefully I'll have um, something up on mobile syrup soon. Awesome. What about you, John? That sounds sick. Uh, So I've been playing kind of two games. Um, One of them is Genshin Impact, which I think I've talked about a little bit with Pat. Um, Basically, it's um, Breath of the Wild, uh, but like a free to play version and like extremely anime. Um, it's crazy popular too. Yeah. That's like the best description I can give it. It's pretty fun. Um, for me, the most interesting part about it is it's available on PC and on mobile. And I think they're working on a switch port as well. Um, and outside of Fortnite, it's really one of the only games I've seen where you can like pretty seamlessly, like go from playing at your desk on your computer to playing it on your phone in bed or, you know, on the go if you're going somewhere. Um, And it's a pretty chill game overall. It's very, very grindy and very, very microtransaction heavy. So if you're into that kind of stuff, um, it's not that fun. But for me, I've really enjoyed just kind of hopping in and, you know, plinking away at a few quests or, you know, taking down a monster and then hopping off to do something else. It's, It's very chill. Um, it looks really nice. Uh, like I said, it's very, very similar aesthetically to Breath of the Wild, and it has some very similar mechanics in terms of primarily being about exploration and, you know, discovering new areas and, you know, fighting little camps of, of monsters and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's been fun. Uh, it's free to play. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, I'd say definitely check it out. Um, but uh try not to get sucked into the microtransaction cycle because it, it does try pretty hard to uh, get you to spend money on the game. Um, and then the other game I've been playing is kind of a throwback. Me and some friends have started playing Starcraft two uh, and just being terrible online at, in terms of like not being good at the game. Uh, but it's been fun to just kind of do that. I haven't played Starcraft two in a long time. So yeah, that's been me. Fair enough. Yeah, I see this Genshin Impact game like all over my timeline and everywhere. Like every time you open like Steam or what, it's like you download or yeah, the App Store. So yeah, this game's crazy. I I still don't necessarily get it, but yeah, you're right. The fact that you can play like seamlessly from your PC to your phone sounds awesome. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um, I played it a little bit with my fiance, and like we didn't really do anything. We just kind of wandered around and explored different parts of, of the world. And that in and of itself was pretty fun. Um, there is like co-op play. Um, it's kind of hit or miss. The main kind of aspect I've found of the co-op play is that you're supposed to like do dungeons together, but the dungeons that the game offers are kind of more like puzzles than actual like raid dungeons that you'd see in other online RPGs. So that was a little bit disappointing, but like for me, it's just been a kind of nice time waster to hop in, you know, run around for a bit collecting, you know, ingredients to make food or, 
you know, unlocking new areas that I haven't explored yet and then hopping back off when I'm bored. Yeah, I mean, that sounds awesome, but I think that that's it for the Serpcast. Um, thanks for listening to the Serpcast. Be sure to drop us a review on iTunes. It really helps with our ranking of the show, which is always good. We want to be ranked highly. We want more people to listen to it. I mean, outside of that, even tell your friends, you know, these guys are talking iPhone. If you want to get a new iPhone this year, get over here, listen <laughs> to us, and we'll tell you. You want to buy an iPad Pro? Get over here. Don't tell them that we said don't to buy an iPad Pro. Just tell them to come here and listen to us. Tell them not to buy an iPad Pro. Uh, and that'll help with the ranking of the show as well. So you can find me on Twitter and just about everywhere at the Bradfad. And then, of course, my content's on mobilesyrup.com. Uh, Patrick, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at, at Patrick underscore O'Rourke and on mobilesyrup.com. I have a ton of content that's hit the site over the last couple of days, and we'll have more stuff coming soon related to the next-gen consoles and uh, the iPhone mini and the iPhone Pro Max. But right now, there's reviews of the iPhone 12, iPhone 12 Pro, and the iPad Air 2020. And John, what about you? Where are you found online? You can, you can find me on Twitter at John underscore Lamont. That's J-O-N underscore L-A-M-O-N-T. And of course, you can find me on the website mobilesyrup.com. Uh, keep an eye uh, on my Twitter page because there's going to be some hot uh, pixel content coming soon. Um, pixel time. Yeah, it's, it's going to be great. Also, I just updated my profile picture for like the first time in eons. So no way. It's not the Santa Claus thing anymore? Yeah, it's not I'm the Santa Claus thing anymore. Wow. I, I figured it was time for a change because I've confused enough people that I've like done interviews with. Like they looked me up on Twitter and they thought I was old. And then when we did the interview, they were like, you're not old. And I was confused. <laughs> So that's hilarious. You're like, well, I age backwards. It's a Benjamin Button scenario. Yeah. Don't ask. It's kind of like a Benjamin Button scenario. That was me like 30 years ago. Super old. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But yeah, and then of course you can follow Mobile Syrup on Twitter and Instagram at Mobile Syrup. We've got the website, you know, that's up. Content's going there all the time. Uh, we have a YouTube channel that gets refreshed every once in a while. Um, but definitely follow us on, on Twitter and Instagram and uh, check out the website. Um, thanks. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food, and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.